You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. I'm Nathan, your humble and obedient host. We've got Ben Solzer there. He is the master of all things associate producing and all things sanity. Ben, why don't you introduce the pastor who's a master of sanity, Jacob Menzel. All right, it's the pastor who's a master of sanity, Jacob Menzel. Jake, how you doing? Fine, how about you? Oh, I'm great. The relational dynamics. (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing. Wow, never ceases to amaze. It never ceases to amaze. That's true. Our listeners are well, I'm sorry if you were wearing socks, folks, because being being blown out of your socks, I know, not always a pleasant experience, but... We can't help it. We can't help it. And speaking of helping, oh my stars, the devil's advocacy alarm, the part of the show where someone has to argue for the opposite point of view from what we've been arguing, how can it be going off this quickly? Doth my ears deceive me? They doth. <laughs> do they do they really <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> maybe not <laughs> undermines the premise of <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe i i said it off it's called, you're just hearing things it's yeah. called it's called yes and not <laughs> no but <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, well the devil's advocacy alarm has gone off which means that we have to argue for the opposite point of view but no one's actually made an assertion yet so that's weird huh sounds weird yep (sighs) well guys this is what's gonna happen in this episode me and ben are going to play the devil's advocate and we're going to try to assert a position and maybe it'll turn out that jake's the devil's advocate actually jake is going to assert the opposite and we'll see who wins this epic battle of wits maybe there'll be some iacane powder (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> maybe there'll be a land war in asia before it's all done but all right this this actually comes by way of a mutual friend of ours and he was thinking about the issue of competition and he was saying it's one of those places where he feels insane he's a former division yeah. one athlete who has become a christian in the last several years and just processing his life right in light of that uh, in light of what it means to be a, a christian as all we all do and especially if we're we've become a christian in the last several years we examine everything hold everything up say does this need to stay does this need to go everything's on the table so how does competition fit so how does competition fit and he asked us Sometimes when we're talking to people and they listen to our show, we say, well, what makes you feel insane? What would you like enough? Or if there's any, ever anything. And he said, well, here's something that makes me feel insane is he enjoys watching sports on TV. He likes different competitive sports. But when it gets too compety, too competitive, it feels unchristian somehow. Or he's wondering whether it should. And so me and Ben, Ben and I are going to actually make the case that it is non-christian right competition is bad right and that's right let's do it ben where do you want to start well i want to start by saying we're not making this case in order to win per se no 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 this argument no (laughs) it's all about how we all play the game that is sound of sanity because i think i think that's how you framed it at first (laughs) and i I just uncomfortable with that (laughs) yeah yeah 
You, you make a fair point, <laughs> my fellow devil. <laughs> <laughs> Whose side are you on here, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> Whose side am I on? I said we, we needed to win this debate. <laughs> well. All right, there's no winners, there's no truth, losers. Truth is not a competition. That's right, but let's crush Jake. Now, <laughs> All right. <laughs> what, what do you want to say? Where do you want to start pulling on this thread? Well, I think I want to start by <clears throat> pulling on it at the place of the desire to be better than other people, which is not actually a Christian virtue. And the desire to have one over on someone else is not a Christian virtue. And anytime you have, you have a culture of, say, sports, a whole culture that's driven by what? Well, let's dominate another team or another player. Let's have an opponent that we subdue. And that should be the am- my ambition as an athlete in a competitive sport. Philippians 2.3 Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Okay. There's considering others as more important than yourself. But that doesn't say anything about the nature of competition whatsoever. Let's just examine the concept of warfare. Is warfare in scripture, Mm -hmm. is it always bad? Or are we, in fact, in a great cosmic battle between the forces of evil and the forces of good? Between God and... I'm not denying that. What you're saying is true. We are in a cosmic battle between forces of evil, forces of good, God Mm -hmm. versus Satan. But the... And the goal is to win, right? The goal is to win, but competition is different because... God already won. (laughs) Christianity is not a competitive religion. Our Savior won by giving up his life for his enemies. And we're supposed to have that same attitude of humility, even towards our own enemies. So it's not a competition. And competition is a fundamentally different principle than what we see expressed in the cross of Christ. So we're not... Okay, yes, Jesus did defeat Satan. We are on the winning side, but we do that actually, the way that we win, the way that we compete is through self-sacrifice. So so the goal is to win. Yeah, but the method is self-denial. Look, and, come, and come, every athlete, and underst- every a- athlete, absolutely every athlete understands that. Every athlete understands that self-denial is the path to victory. Jake, I think you're equivocating because... This idea of self-sacrifice that you're talking about is what an athlete sacrifices in order to be able to in wipe order to the win? floor with their opponent. But uh-huh. I'm talking about the attitude we have towards our opponents, which is an attitude of self-sacrifice for their good. So and that is Jesus fundamentally is, different. When Jesus returns and we have these images of him traipsing through the blood of his enemies with the sword coming out of his mouth... <laughs> I'm not denying there's an appropriate time for that. And that's when Jesus returns. And that's why Jesus rebuked the disciples who wanted to call fire down on the villages that rejected Jesus. Yeah, I guess and, uh, Peter should have no. just competitively you don't know what cut off the of. guy's ear. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Jesus opposed that kind of thing. And, and so you're talking about self-denial as a practice for strategy for nutrition and exercise and fitness and stuff. But I'm talking about it as an attitude towards one's opponents. The spirit that Christians are supposed to have towards their enemies is not the same thing as the spirit you have towards an opposing team in sports. Sports is not fostering an attitude of, I'll sacrifice myself for my opponent's good. Sports is fostering an attitude of, I'm just over against you, and I'll sacrifice things in order to wipe the floor with you and dominate you, but it's not for your good. That's not what Christianity, that's not what Jesus teaches us. I'm going to come back to a simple principle 
war and warfare is good for the right reasons. War and warfare is all throughout scripture and is the description of what we're engaged in. And we see that from the beginning to the end of scripture, all of scripture. It's all war. And war is about winning. And so you can get weird and talk about tactics in a way that clouds the issue. But the fact is, warfare is about winning. And so is taking dominion. It's about, it's about winning. It's about conquering. And so the people of God are commissioned to go and win the promised land. And they do. And we're called to go and disciple the nations and win the battle and win the war. And we do. And Jesus is coming back to win the war. And he does. And sports, athletic competitions, is just mock warfare. In the battlefield, the Israelites were not winning by killing themselves. They were winning by killing the enemies of God with swords. And And we don't live on that battlefield anymore. That's right. Nobody ever won a battle by dying for his country. (laughs) You win a battle by making Making the the other other stupid jerk... Die, Die for, for his. his. Thanks, General Patton. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jake, let me let me push back a little bit. Yes, we are called to conquer. And we do that by taking up our cross, by laying down our lives, by turning the other cheek. Sure. What, that- is, what did those things have to do with competition? The only thing they have to do with competition is how we gain power over those who would oppress us. Yeah, and it seems like that's the, the only thing they have to do with competition. They have no they they only speak to competition in terms of how do we win? How do we disempower those who would be enemies of the kingdom of God? Well, it seems like the way that we win is uh, to take a, a line out of everyone's favorite Matthew Broderick epic film War Games, the only right move is not to play. In other words, we win by by turning the other cheek. We win by not competing. There is a methodology for winning the competition, and that's not to compete. That's not it. It's by not competing according to their rules. That's what Jesus is talking about. Uh, The goal is to win the competition. You say the goal is to win the competition, so we're in a competition, and the goal is to win it. Okay, then we're competing. If your goal is to win the competition, to say that you win the competition by not competing is to just say nonsense, okay? You can say by not competing according to their rules. You can say all kinds of things. But you can't say if your goal is to win the competition, you win by not competing. Okay, let me let me make a smaller claim then. If the methods that we use to compete and to destroy our enemy are humility, self-denial, taking up our cross, then why wouldn't our quote-unquote mock warfare evince those virtues instead of the virtue of dominating our enemy? What does they do? What is a young boy when they he do. when he wins and? screams obscenities at the other team and, and is like, yeah, we beat you, idiot. Like, what is what, what What Christian virtue can you honestly say he's... That's not how we win. That's not, that's not how we're good winners. Yeah, we beat you, you idiot is not Christian virtue being displayed in competition. But if I go to any ball field... But the humility in America, and the self-sacrifice it takes, the self-denial it takes um, to get there, to say no to yourself... That's there. You know, Humility and victory is a real thing. Listen, I've watched the Michael Jordan documentary. I've seen Muhammad Ali footage. I, I've read the stories of Babe Ruth. I'm just saying, it seems like there's a lot of pride and a lot of will, to, will to dominate sin or sin. in a bad mm-hmm. way 
tied up with this thing. And so why not do something else? Why not lay down and lose? What is so intrinsically good about this mock warfare that our little boys and especially our little girls need to engage in this? What is what is that the actual virtue that they're getting out of it? Little boys, especially, need to be taught that life is war. The Christian life is war. And it's war that's won through self-discipline and self-sacrifice. And everything that they want in life will come through conflict and will come through their ability to say no to themselves on, in small ways so they, they can say yes to the bigger things. You want to win? Well, it's going to require sacrifices. It's going to require you saying no to yourself. That's what uh, mock warfare on the ball field teaches you. It's what it teaches you about real battle and real war. And it's what it teaches you about everything else in life. Do you want to win a woman? Well, it's going to require sacrifices. Do you want to be successful in a career? It's going to require sacrifices. It's going to require self-discipline. Do you want to successfully grow in godliness? It's going to require warfare against your sin and your sinful desires. It's going to require you to engage in self-denial. It's going to require you to say no to yourself. At every level, it involves saying no to yourself for something greater. So I could be sitting on the couch watching TV. It's not going to help me win my baseball game. I have to say no to that, and I have to be willing to go out and do the work of hitting off of a tee. That's going to help. I could be sitting at home blowing off my studies Or I could say no to myself and engage in my studies so that I can put myself in a position for a good career. Or any number of other examples you could come up with uh, with your job. I could be saying no to myself now, or I could be setting myself up to stumble into sin later. I could be killing sin or sin could be killing me, but this is all the warfare that we're engaged in. And physical discipline and the physical discipline of sports is one good way to teach us about how that works in all of life. And the desire to remove that is a desire to work against the way God made the world. It's a desire to work against the way uh, God made little boys especially and tell them that actually the way God made you is wrong. Actually, the way God made you is sin. And you have to contradict. In order to be a good Christian, you have to stop being a little boy made in God's image who's been tasked with taking dominion in this world. And so it's it's a, a profoundly anti-Christian argument to argue against competition. If I I actually agree with you, but in my role here, let me push back again. If I get an A, the situation is not intrinsically set up in such a way that it invites me to mock belittle and feel the rush of pride that comes at being better than the people who got an F. Now, I, I can certainly be a jerk and do that, but I don't actually see necessarily the person who got an F sobbing on the sidelines and there's not taunts that everybody passes around that we say to the person who got an F there's, there's all kinds of places in life where we can go out and we can, if I, if I win a woman, yeah, sure. I can be happy that the other guy didn't win her, whoever else was circling in the wings, but also I can just be happy that I won the woman. Isn't there something about sports in particular that invites pride that invites the arrogance of i just did a great job and more than that you didn't isn't there something about sports that puts the loser on display in a way that okay sure war war is necessary no one sitting at this table thinks we shouldn't go and kill our enemies in a, in a just war but 
in a mock war, isn't there something perverse or unchristian about the attitudes that we might end up bringing to it? There's always the temptation for that. But to say that it's intrinsically bad is to say that God is evil for saying rejoice over Babylon's fall in Revelation. Okay, so there is, in fact, joy in conquering real enemies. But my little league, the, the anti other little league team is not my real enemy. They're just some dads and that's right. Kids that and so play. and so that's mock warfare, and that has to be handled a little differently. And that's the Christian dad and coach's job is to help people be both gracious in victory and in defeat. But is there and any- that's an that's an important thing that little boys have to learn because and so what it does is it actually creates a really great context to discipline that pride which is intrinsic in any place where you have success. And those successes, it's not actually true that that's unique to sports or uh, athletic competitions. It's true on the level of companies. When your company succeeds in gaining market share, it's taking market share from other people. If it succeeds in running somebody into the ground, uh, if it succeeds well enough, it'll run other companies into the ground. If you you want to be charitable to my argument, though, sports does in some ways uniquely put the loser on display in a way that some of these other some forms of life don't. I'm sure, I'm sure we can think of one that probably does. Yeah. Even more. And, and I think that that's a, I think that's a good thing for both sides because it teaches it's an opportunity. Yeah. It's always going to be an opportunity for sin and pride. It's also going to be an opportunity to discipline sin and pride. Well, it's also going to teach them to not be the devil. It's also going to teach them the inevitability of losers and winners Right. That they better think of that as the framework for life, actually. And if they don't, that's very foolish. And and then, therefore, okay, you lost. Everybody loses. Everybody takes lo- losses. So how do you respond to that, right? Everybody, life, you're going to have losses and setbacks. Some of them are going to be inside of your control because of your mistakes. Some are going to be outside of your control. Sometimes the officials are going to blow it. The people who set the rules are going to screw it up. And you're going to have to deal with that. And you're going to have to figure out in the moment, okay, there's nothing I can do. I can either complain or I can try to overcome this. Sometimes you'll be able to overcome it and then it's really sweet. Sometimes you won't be able to overcome it. It's bitter, but that's life. And so you have to learn how to deal with all of that. And it's it's just a great training field for dealing with everything that life brings to you. You're going to lose. You're going to fail. Your company's going to fail. You're, you're going to fail at your job. You're going to take losses. Okay, well, you either sit and sulk and complain about the officials and how unfair everything is, or you get up and you learn your lessons and you work harder and you get better. You win, okay? How many times, it's such a trope in sports, you cannot escape it. It happens all the time. Every year, coaches see this, they see it coming, but a team goes on a winning streak or has a big win and they turn around and they get an inferior team wipes the floor with them. Always happens. Happens to everybody. You get, you win, you get proud, you get cocky, you think you're hot stuff, you underestimate a smaller opponent, you get careless, you don't pay attention to detail anymore because you feel like you don't need to because you're just that good, and then you get blasted for it. It comes back to bite you. And then you have to learn that lesson. Hey, actually, nothing's free. I'm only as good as my preparation and my attention to detail and my ability to control the things that I can control in life. And in the, in the course of the game, between the lines, I can only control so many things. And man, does that teach you so much about 
life and how life works. And to take that away as some unchristian thing is, it's not just wrong, it's actually destructive. And that's not commentary on the commodification of sports or the glorification of sports as a multi-million dollar, billion dollar industry. I'm just talking about kids growing up, learning how to play with each other, learning how to be on a team together, learning how to cooperate towards an end goal, learning how to defeat their enemies, learning how to do it graciously, learning how to lose. (laughs) All of those things are really great and really important for kids growing up and figuring out their place in the world and how to engage the world as God made it to be. I, I think that the devil I represented, I couldn't do it justice, at least in a way that you wanted to respond to, but that is the way people feel. What I said, including all the equivocations, is how people are genuinely confused when they come to the scriptures. The feeling in our Christian culture is that competition is opposed to the spirit of Christ. Right. Christ didn't do that. He doesn't, he wouldn't have played a game of football and won because... And I say, absolutely, he would have played a game of football and won. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's all that he did. All he did was win. I, 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 think I agree. The dork in the agree, pictures that, but, that's got light shining in his hair, that guy wouldn't play football. No, he wouldn't. No. But, but that's if not If you read Jesus, Jesus and say the book Jesus. of John, where every single person who comes to him, he contradicts them and makes them feel he, like crap. He's out to win. He's out to win. Yes. He's out to win people's hearts, right? He's yeah. out to win. He's out to build a kingdom, mm-hmm. a kingdom that's going to topple the kingdom of Satan. He's going to go out into the wilderness. He's going to fast for 40 days. He's going to resist the devil at every possible point. Mm -hmm. He's going to look at the devil and say, you have absolutely nothing in me. I win and I'm going to win and I'm going to do it the hard way. And then he goes out and he starts preaching and he builds an army and he spends all of the synoptic gospels building an army that he takes and marches on Jerusalem with. And then he goes and he fights the battle. He dies on the cross, and then he conquers over death. Yeah. He wins. He disarms Satan. He disarms principalities and powers, and he takes away the keys of death. Death can no longer win. He wins. He triumphs. Life wins. And and then he turns around, and all his followers, he gives the same power to conquer death. And you have an army of people that are now commissioned to go and conquer the nations in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's... That's what the church is. It's the church militant, conquering the nations in the name of King Jesus. And he's coming back to put it all to rights at the end. We will rejoice over the destruction of the enemies of God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will. Part of the complexity, though, is that you have the, you have sacrifice, and in many people's minds, sacrifice becomes the goal instead of a means of victory. Right. And people don't understand that. Yeah, and they don't understand, and they don't even make the connection to everything else in their lives, where... There's no place in our lives where sacrifice isn't the the means to victory. Exactly. There's That's no right. place where sacrifice isn't the means to victory. To reference things that only a handful of people will know, it's like your sermon on fasting just this past week, Ben. Everybody fasts. That's Everybody right. fasts in order to get what they want. That's Everybody right. sacrifices in order to get what they want. They'll skip lunch. They'll skip meals. Yep. They'll deny themselves any number of things in order to get what they want. That's right. Well, and not just somebody who's trying to achieve a physical gain. As Ben pointed out, somebody like me, if I'm in the middle of doing a pod, 
actually, it's we are in fact it, fasting it's right, late now. right now, and we <laughs> have right like yeah, and okay, but we have other work to do, mm-hmm. yep. right? And that work takes takes precedence, and so you do what you got to do, and that's part of it. Everybody does that. You go without the things that you could have because you want something bigger and better and greater. And at every point when Jesus talks about this sort of thing, he's talking about the greater thing that you should want and what you should be willing to give up to get it. Do you love your life? You have to be willing to lose your life in order to gain it. Yep. Do you want to be the greatest? Here's how. Become the least. Which no one Become the servant of everyone of all. Become the servant of all. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Become like a child. He's telling you. He's not saying the goal is to be a child. He's saying the goal is to be great. The goal is to be great in the kingdom of God. Right. The the goal is not to be the servant of everyone. The goal is to be great in the kingdom of God. Okay. I want to point out. And that's the means. Yeah. That's how. There is something. There's an attitude. Yeah. It's it's the attitude too, which is something I was trying to get at as a devil. The attitude is a little complicated. Right. Because on the one hand, we will rejoice at the destruction of our enemies. On the other hand, right now, what, what, makes, us, what makes us rejoice? Yeah. Don't rejoice in the destruction of your don't enemies. Don't rejoice in the destruction. That God will, because you don't want God to relent in their destruction. It's actually, a, it's one of the Proverbs. Well, it, it, that's a proverb. You don't want him to turn his anger toward, toward you. you. That's yeah. also. And we would rejoice if our enemies became our friends through the blood of Jesus. Which, which is easy. Jesus conquering that's right. our yeah. enemies. Right. That but is the, right. Jesus conquers our enemies now by converting them. Yes. Right? And at w- when that time is up, Jesus conquers our and his enemies by destroying them. Yes. Okay. And so so, so here's what I want to say. Competition in the time of mercy where the, the gospel is offered is different than competition in the time when Jesus returns. Or the time when the Israelites That's take right. the promised land. That's right. right. But it, it is but, different. But it doesn't change the fact that it's still a fight. It's still a fight. That it's still, it's still war. a fight. And, and, and we do have enemies we're supposed to be entirely unsympathetic towards. We don't engage them in a exactly a direct competitive way, but that's our spiritual enemies. We have no sympathy for them. Right. They are not going to be redeemed. There's no mercy. There's there, no redemption. There's, and there's, there's no, no mercy. desire for that on their part. Right. No. Or on ours. Right. And so it is complicated. And your attitude, if you follow Jesus, will be victory, but it will also be you might cry over someone who hates you <laughs> there will be real humility it's not like yeah i'm gonna game the system by being humble so that i can no you're no you actually, actually have to, to be, be humble, humble. you yeah. actually have to be humble yeah. right and michael jordan's not it that's not what we're calling people to yeah you can look at man few people as arrogant as michael jordan because his code name was was jehovah seriously yeah that he chose for himself but Still, you can't even escape. Michael Jordan can't escape the fact that it takes a tremendous amount of a certain humility mm-hmm. to be as great as he was. Because in order for Michael Jordan to be as great as he was, he had to be humble enough to work on the simple, dumb fundamentals that five and six-year-olds work on on a daily basis. He had to be humble enough to be critical of himself and receive criticism of himself so that he could work on his weaknesses. There's a certain humility, even if filtered mm. through the lens of his pride and ego that he had to, and he can resent it and hate it all he wants. 
Well, so I watched The Last Dance. In the Dance. end, he'll be proud of it. Um, and in the end, he'll be proud of it. His humility. Just, just like everybody, we watched The Last Dance when it came out, the Michael Jordan documentary from a year ago or whatever. I and, didn't. And well, just like everybody minus Ben. The What's interesting, I don't follow sports. I'm not a big basketball guy. I remember those things as they happened because they were so culturally ubiquitous that you just couldn't escape them. But I really yeah. just, I don't, I don't follow the personalities. It's not something that really interests me. So I'm sure I'm saying something that's completely obvious to anyone that follows this stuff. But what was really fascinating to me was, especially in the racial climate of today, the that's besides our point for today. But but the the deferential attitude that people have towards their coach. Michael yep. Jordan has a great deal of humility when it comes to the people who can train him, who can strategize, who can better with him, him. And who can better him. Mm. He's not afraid to just be sweet with those people in a way that he's not anywhere else in his life to anyone. Huh. And those, the, that kind of relationship, that kind of hierarchy that you really don't see, you certainly don't see it praised or you don't see anyone happy to engage in that kind of hierarchy in almost any other mm-hmm. sphere of life. But you see it in all the players and the coaches, you know, as you just, yep. as I watched that documentary, it's really interesting. Yep. These guys don't mind having, a general and they don't mind following that general you so know. long as he's leading them to victory so long as he, the, yeah. the minute he's not get rid of that guy right get him out of my <laughs> sight yeah but yeah and that's just that's part of it but there is a deference that you really don't see that much in culture outside of a dorky homeschool kid that actually has been taught to say yes sir it's it's sort of that sort of thing yep so i don't know it's just interesting I, I, I do have one more question. This actually comes directly from our friend who asked us to do this episode. So his specific question was about UFC fights. Yeah. And so let me ask the question this way. Given that we've established sports are good, competition's good. Is there space for blood sport? Well, I want to ask, actually ask two separate questions. Okay. A, is there space for blood sport? And B, are there simply in the great spectrum of sports, could we name sports that are so intrinsically tied to the pride of competition, tied to a certain arrogance or a certain whatever that's bad, that we would say those sports aren't Christians, whether it's boxing, whether it's uh, UFC, whether it's, we don't have to actually make those determinations today, maybe, but could we conceive of that being true? Coliseum. Coliseum, yeah. Well, okay. okay let's. Well, we just start with the extreme, right? Hunger Games, right? Coliseum, anything that defaces the image of God and man, right, is going to be counter. It's going to be. Well, if I could be a little controversial, I, I love Rocky movies as much as anything, but I think you could uh, argue that boxing. You could sure make that argument. Yeah. Martial, certainly make it about UFC, I, but even with boxing. Although boxing actually gives more brain damage than UFC is at least, maybe that's an urban legend. But but in terms of, if, if I may, in terms of the, the semiotics of boxing, it's just defacing the image of man. Punch, punch, punch to the face. Right. There is something pretty, yeah. oh, I, I, I think, don't know. Just, I think we're agreeing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to draw, I, I, I myself don't want to draw hard lines yeah, I don't care if anybody watches boxing and I don't have, I'm not actually making that argument. I'm just yeah. opening up the idea th- that you could make that argument. Yeah. You can make that argument all the way through certain full contact sports. You can make it all the way to, to the NFL. I don't know that it's necessarily a good argument, but you can make that argument. And there does need to be a place where you're willing to look at things objectively and draw a line. I don't think that martial arts or combat sports 
are intrinsically evil, personally. I think there are lines that can be crossed. But I think that combat sports also have a role to play. I, it, in part because you don't get good at fighting without fighting. You don't get good at taking a punch without taking a punch. And there is a place for learning how to do that sort of thing. And there are, are lessons to be learned in the process of that sort of thing that I don't want to, I don't want to denigrate that. But I do want to say, and certainly when you get to the level of, of our entertainment industry mm-hmm. and the delight that we have and what fuels the delight we have in our combat sports or just the amount of money that goes into our mock warfare. Or the delight that we it. feel in watching a rapist uh, tear off somebody's ear. Not, not to be too political about the whole thing, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, come on. <laughs> but there's nobody more likable in boxing than Mike Tyson. I know, days. I know. <laughs> He's just a sweet old man with tattoos with on his face and a lisp. <laughs> <laughs> it was in Mike's Hard Lemonade commercial. Yeah, I know. Um, well, I'm sorry. I, let's we, we don't have to go to there, but uh. well, that's going to be a lot. Uh, when you say bring a rapist into, it, you're going to bring in a lot of people in a lot of sports, and what we're willing to tolerate in order to see uh, greatness or participate in greatness or athletic prowess can be really damning. And you have to again come back to the motivations behind it. And we could do whole podcast episodes on. SEC football, and we could do whole podcast episodes on all of the ways that sports become a stand-in for the cultural impotence of of men in America, a place mm-hmm. where we can get a little bit of catharsis. And same with action movies. Same with action movies and Marvel movies, all that sort of thing. Same with porn. It, they they actually all can operate and fill space in our lives that provide us the catharsis we need to never actually have to go out and be men ourselves. We just live vicariously through the dude who's betting the woman and vicariously through the athlete who's scoring the touchdown and the team that from the South that's destroying the team from the North and everything else. There's all kinds of ways that people do this sort of thing. And that's the place where you have to check your heart and deal with yourself before God. And there are lessons to learn, and there are good things to enjoy about Marvel movies and about uh, basketball games and football games and whatever. But you have to know what you're in it for. And you have to be able to to turn the, the lens on yourself and say, hey, maybe I need to be careful that I'm not just living vicariously through other people here, but I am I'm actually engaging the world as a man who understands... The battles he has to fight and the places that he needs to be at war with himself and with the world and with the devil. Well, I think as you examine that, it's helpful to go back to the first question of the two. It's helpful to realize there is a thing that is bloodlust. There is a, there is yeah. a desire in men, especially to just see blood shed in and of itself to delight in Violence. It's uh, what's yeah. His you face? flip uh, Marvel into uh, Zack Snyder. Yep. And you flip or John Wick or whatever or John Wick. Yeah, or whatever. You flip a football game into a UFC fight mm-hmm. or a boxing match or whatever. Well, it's not that I have a problem with any of those things necessarily. It's just that right. where the line is between joy and victory and 
bloodlust is is yeah, we could talk all day about that even watching a movie where the hero decapitates the bad guy did i get a big kick out of that because i just love seeing evil definitively defeated in a in just a a burst of energy because that could be good or do i like to see the image of god defaced do i actually get a big thrill out of that i i i think it, it's a question worth asking and the lines aren't always going to be just cut and dried yeah but we, we i think you have to know yourself as mm-hmm. much as anything and not make excuses for the places where you just love blood and so i think there's probably lots of martial arts competitive sporting type things that are just fine there's a, probably also certain personalities i'm just i don't watch this stuff. i should I'm, avoid such things the, the, yeah sure it's like we say about discernment people who draw hard lines so that they can't be discerning that's or so that they don't they don't have to that's silly someone who says i'm just not gonna watch r-rated movies at all and that's a stand-in for having any discernment right and then they watch every crap pg-13 movie and then they tell everybody else you shouldn't watch r-rated movies that's bad on the other hand there might be any number of reasons why joe schmo on the street makes a considered discerning decision that he's just gonna draw a line oh yeah we just don't watch those kinds of movies because i can't handle that i I, I don't watch r-rated movies period because i don't want to take any risks but I still engage discerningly with PG-13 and PG movies. Right. And I don't mind if other people watch R-rated movies. I just know I'm susceptible to a certain risk for whatever reason. It's not easy for me to just fast forward the nude scenes or whatever. Whatever. So people have to use their individual discernment on this. Anything else you guys want to say? I don't think so. Maybe I feel a little bit of a need to just come back and reiterate the point. So many people today are actively engaged in trying to neuter your sons and tell them that fighting and competition is in and of itself bad. And that is never the way to handle it. It's not the way to handle your uh, boy when he's fighting and being a bully with his younger siblings. It's not to teach him that fighting is bad. It's to teach him who he's supposed to fight and why. But and, you don't teach him that fighting is bad. You and, don't teach and how. Him to, and how. Yeah, that's right. There's a when, there's a why... There's a where, there's a how, but the thing in itself, in and of itself, is not bad. Okay, well, Ben, I think we we thoroughly crushed Jake. We won. He's lying in a. I feel terrible. Yeah, I feel good. Well, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm dancing in his blood right now because that's what I really get out of competition is uh, blood from Jake to dance on. Well, you shouldn't compete anymore, Nathan. Just not for you. Well, you should compete to be the least competitive. Can you win that fight, Nathan? (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) But I think you just lost everyone's interest in this podcast. (laughs) A podcast that was produced by me, executive produced by Andrew and me, associate produced by Ben, and uh, supported by the fine activities that go on at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. We do additional chunk of sound of sanity there pretty much every week called sanity bites it's a lot of fun all right folks until next time stay sane